Hello and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. We exist to see lives transformed through Jesus and are located in the heart of Surrey, BC, Canada. To find out more, visit us at horizonchurch.ca. We hope this message blesses and inspires you. This whole thing of 2020 has just been an incredible year. I saw this, uh, I think it was on Instagram this week, where uh, it was a story of a, of a man who was taking a tub of ice cream. He was just eating it with a spoon. And his wife's like, what are you doing? And he said, one, just he, all he said was this, because 2020. And she said, you're right. And she grabbed a spoon and started to eat it right along with him. I promise you that wasn't at our house. Uh, but in all seriousness, 2020 has been an incredible uh, year for all the most difficult of reasons. Uh, we started the year with, uh, and, and I want to remind you of the context that we live in and that it's important that we speak to uh, from a biblical and a perspective and a perspective of Jesus to what's going on in our world. We nearly had World War III at the beginning of the year. We had, uh, then we went into this thing of a global pandemic, which Fortunately, in our area of the world, we seem to be coming out of. I know many other areas are still uh, battling forward this. Whatever you think of it, uh, that's, uh, that, it is what it is at this moment. Uh, friends of ours have had people pass away in their life uh, because of it. So it's a real thing. Uh, and then we have this moment uh, right here in the middle of all of this, this cultural moment and discussion around race and racism. What a year it's been. And we have some who have been talking to me uh, via email or text or other ways about this issue, and, uh, and they have this perspective about this issue of racism. Do you know this stat and that stat? And by the way, look at this and look at the lawlessness that's happening, and every culture has had injustice, and every culture has had pain, and people just need to stop bringing it up and start to move forward. It's one perspective. Other, meanwhile, I have people of color talking to me through tears of pain that they have had to and continue to experience racism today because of the color of their skin. And it's important to know that both voices, both perspectives are in the culture around us. They're in the church. And they're in our church. And if we are not careful... If we handle this moment that is in front of us incorrectly, instead of being a voice of hope, a voice of change, and a voice of life in Jesus, we will see the deep divisions of our culture mirrored in our church. The stakes are incredibly high. The division that is happening in our culture cannot happen in our church. In this season, it's more important than ever that Christ followers are first followers of the King of Kings before they're followers of any political leader. Before we're followers of any movement, we're followers of Jesus. Too often the church, the church's voice and influence is either co-opted by a political movement or it's silently slinking into the corner and abandoning cultural moments. Yes, there might be things that are manipulating and people that are manipulating this issue. It does not mean that the issue is any less valid. You might have concerns over the organizations that are involved in pushing uh, an agenda 
and, you, and, it, and that's fine. But this is not the time to take the cues of how we treat one another from the 24-hour news channel, from CNN, from Fox News, from the social media. This is not the time to take our cues from that source. Now more than ever, the church of Jesus must be the church of Jesus. We are called to bring a voice of hope in the middle of chaos, not add to the chaos. This is not something just to get over. It's something that we need to lead our way through. What if the church was the one, instead of yelling into the noise, was the one that led the way to have difficult conversations that are not fun to have, but must be had? What if this chaos could be leading to a moment of revival, of seeing your life turned around, of seeing your family turned around, of seeing our city turned around, of seeing our nation turned around, of seeing our world turned around? What if instead of adding to chaos, we were a voice of order, we were a voice of hope, we were a voice that was rising above the din and speaking peace and speaking justice and speaking reconciliation. What if instead of bringing a can of gas to the chaos, we were bringing a, a can of water to put out flames? What if as followers of Jesus, we took our cue from him? How can we see change in the middle of what's going on? Luke 10 Jesus talks to us a story where one occasion, if you want to go there, Luke 10 and 25, it says this, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. He said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, love. Turn to someone in your room with you if you're with someone and say, love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, and he tells a story, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, going from Jerusalem, the holy city, and going down to Jericho, heading northeast into uh, an area uh, that was uh, away from Jerusalem. Going down from there, and, they, and when uh, he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by, Say, passed by. He passed by on the other side. And so to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, that's a different cultural group, a mixture of Jews and, and Assyrians and different, a, a meld of, of the faith of, of, uh, of Judaism and, and the faith of, they put it all together in, in their whole thing. But a Samaritan, they were despised by the Jews. As he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. 
And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, that's about two days' wages, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any expense you may have. And then Jesus asked this question to kind of sum it all up. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. This man comes and he's a legalist. He's actually a lawyer, a religious lawyer. And he says, I got the loving of God down. I understand that. I want my life to, to, to follow God in every way. And so how do I do that? I want eternal life. Uh, how, how does that look like? And love God. And he says, I think I've got that down. Can you clarify this one question? Who's my neighbor? I want, and he wasn't asking because he wanted to expand the definition. He wanted an answer to justify himself, to get as small of a definition to cause him to not have to engage in his world, but to actually shrink his world to the smallest possible of who he had to love. Because he recognized that his capacity to love by himself was incredibly limited. It was incredibly limited. And so he says, uh, who is my neighbor? He wanted to shrink back from his responsibility. In that culture, even in that time, there was a recognition that you loved your neighbor, the person around you, the person who loved you. But Jesus was turning over the story. He was turning over this, the understanding. And not only are we to love our neighbor as ourselves, he was in this moment expanding the definition of neighbor to also love your enemy as yourself, which is impossible by ourselves. Three travelers, two religious leaders, one Samaritan who was despised. They all saw one man. Stripped, beaten, robbed, wounded, and left for dead. Two travelers walked by on the opposite side, showing no compassion. The humanness of it all, it's easy to judge in that moment. But as, as I looked at this, I saw myself in these men at times. And it's easy to put it off as to someone else. I would never be that. But the humanness of the gospel, it doesn't varnish the reality of our condition and the potential in all of us to be like these two men. When you think of their excuses, maybe they thought things like this. The road is too dangerous for me to stop and help the man. He might have another agenda. He might be setting me up for an ambush so I'm not going to go near him. Someone should really help that man. I don't know first aid. Besides, it looks like it's a hopeless case, and I've got places to go. I'm the only one here. The job is far too big for me. Well, this one maybe is what they thought. He brought it on himself. He should have never been alone on such a dangerous road, and he wouldn't be in the trouble he's in. And then the Samaritan when he saw him, instead of walking away from him, he walked towards him. He took pity or compassion on him. He went to him personally. He bandaged his wounds personally. He poured out 
his personal oil and wine. He put him on his personal donkey. He used his personal money to care for this man. Two moved away from the man in pain and one moved toward the man in pain. And which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Personal involvement. You might say, some have told me, Craig, this is not really an issue for the church to be addressing. I've got the text. I've got the emails. After all, we are a multicultural church. We all love each other. And I hope and pray that's true. But I also see the reality of Scripture where in Galatians 2, Paul went after Peter for being a bigot in the way that he was treating the Gentile believers. I also see in James chapter 2, where the apostle James said to the people of God, he, he, he rebuked them for their prejudice towards the poor over the rich. And he came against the wealthy who owned companies and said, you got to stop your corrupt ways of oppressing your workers who are crying out for their wages in chapter 5 and verse 4. So the issue is a church issue first. It's not just an issue out there. It must also allow the lamp of the Holy Spirit to come in here. To not think that we're above the first century church. To not think that we're above forms of prejudice in ourselves. These are uncomfortable conversations. But we must have them because there is too much at stake. If we don't have the conversations, we will have issues because what is not talked out will eventually get acted out. And what the action will not be healthy. The action will be, as we're seeing right now, in the natural, could be in the, in the, in the, in the church. And so the church must decide, what is our approach? Are we going to walk on by or are we going to walk towards? Are we going to walk away from the chaos and walk around the chaos? Or are we going to wade into the chaos? Craig, we should just be trying to get people saved and praying. Yes, we should. And we should be doing those things. But... Jesus also prayed to the Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, that the, the reality of heaven through the people of God should begin to, should be our prayer and our action to make the world more like heaven. That there will be more love, that there will be more joy, that there will be more reconciliation, that there will be more peace. The reality of heaven to touch earth. And sometimes we have to recognize that we are not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against a, a demonic force that wants to stir things up. And will we partner with that force or will we partner with heaven and see his kingdom come, his will be done on earth. And Jesus not only preached repentance and salvation, but he also said this. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, he was full of the Holy Spirit and went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. See, Jesus is not just about rescuing, he's about restoration. Jesus is not just about salvation, he's about transformation. Transformation of your life, transformation of your family, transformation of a city. That's 
who Jesus is. He is not going to be put into a box and say, it's only about salvation. He came to seek and save the lost, yes. But his hope and his expectation was that we would be ones. If you're a follower of Jesus today, that you would be a one who magnifies the voice of heaven, who brings peace into situations, who is one who would bring hope into situations. That's what we're called to do. This must be a personal mission. This must be a personal assignment. This must be a personal, uh, from heaven itself to you and to me. Craig, you have a part to play. Sally, you have a part to play. Amita, you have a part to play. Michael, you have a part to play. Each and every one of us must begin to take this as a personal assignment that it is not something for somebody else to do, but we are the ones that will wade into the chaos with a different voice, with a different perspective, without hatred, without division, without bringing more division, but bringing hope and reconciliation into places where there's pain. We are going to be that church. Are we moved with compassion or are we moving to the other side? This has been a personal journey for me that's been ongoing for more than 20 years. I, I have not arrived in this place of compassion. I'm not there yet. But about 20 years ago, when I was 27, 28 years old, something like that, I was sitting, I had read this story and read another passage where it says that Jesus was moved with compassion. And I remember sitting by on the beach and I said to the Lord in my own way, I said, God, I am not a compassionate person. My life, I can't, I can see that there's problems, but my heart is not moved how it should be moved. My heart is not compassionate. I often look with judgment. I often look with, they wouldn't be in that spot if they would just get a job. I, I often look at people, if they would just get off drugs, then their life could be, they shouldn't be a drug addict or whatever. And I would heap judgment about on people's situation instead of being a voice of reconciliation in the middle of it all. Because we are called, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are called to be an ambassador, a representative of the reconciliation that Jesus brought to the world through, through himself. That he came to reconcile us to God and then to reconcile us to one another. This is an all-nations gospel. This is good news for every people group. This is good news for every man, woman, boy, and girl in the world today. And my heart was not softened. I said, God, I need your help. And began, which was for me, a 20-year process, but three months, or sorry, three years of God taking me to school on this. I spent nine months not long after that, of not being able to work. I was trying to find jobs. I was on EI. I barely had enough food to feed my family. I was felt humbled in so many ways. I felt like I was failing my family. I felt like I couldn't provide for my kids. And, and I began to understand what it means to not have enough. And then I went, and thankfully, God brought me to a place of working for a private social service agency where I was beginning to <clears throat> meet people that were out of sight of my world, that I had never rubbed shoulders with before. These were kids that were on their way into jail, last chance, or on their way out of jail to get them ready for the real world, so to speak. And I began to meet and talk with people. And this needs to be personal. Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, is a personal gospel. It's meant to be personal. And it became personal to me when I met a young man 
who was 14 years old, and I've told these stories before, but I want you to get the story of my journey and hopefully for some of us, allow us to perhaps say there's areas of our heart that are still hard and need the touch of Jesus. 14-year-old boy that burned his house down and he was in this custody situation and I had many conversations with him. I sat with him and saw a young man and heard from his own lips a young man that just wanted to be able to have a job someday and have a family and do all the things that that normal world would, would want. But there was a part of the young man that you didn't see until you began to talk to him. The young man that began to be sexually abused as a toddler and was regularly sexually abused all his growing up years. A young man that was raised in chaos and, and alcoholism, often fending for himself with for food and, and shelter and putting himself to bed as a child. And his life and his heart was full of pain, was full of anger, was full of bitterness. Does it excuse that he burned his house down? No. But perhaps we could be a little more understanding. Perhaps I began to be a little bit more understanding of what people have walked through that, that bring them to the place of actions that are unhealthy and, and, and not whole. It's personal. It must be personal. And I met also a young girl. She was 16 when I met her. Had a beautiful smile, blonde girl about five foot two, happy on the surface. But what you didn't see, that she had been a prostitute on the streets of Vancouver. She was an addict and she was a thief. What you didn't see, that this young woman that I had multiple conversations with, she told me she had never dreamed that she would one day be selling her body on the street. She never dreamed that one day she would be one trapped in addiction. She, you see, she was raised in a home, a two-parent family. She was raised until uh, divorce came into her family and then uh, another man came into her mother's life and that man began to abuse her uh, and, and bring trauma in her life. And then when she was about 12 years old at the, at the PNE, she and her young friend met a man who offered her drugs to try for free and she had no idea that that man would one day be her pimp. And by the time she was 13 years old, was, she was prostituting herself on the street, an addict and a thief. She never dreamed of it. Does that excuse any of the behavior? Maybe, maybe not. But I certainly know this, that it began to get personal for me. I began to have a little bit more compassion. I sat around tables in that same period of time with the survivors of residential school abuse. And the prejudice that I knew that I had in my heart towards First Nations people began to come to the surface. And I saw the ugliness of my sin. I saw the ugliness of my judgment. I saw the ugliness of my own heart. And I, I remember going home, weighted down, weighted down at the stories of pain, weighted down at the stories of what people have been through. And my heart was not, so, was not soft, it was hard. And I was saying, oh God, do a work in me. You've exposed this in me. I must repent. It's a personal thing. It cannot be a society thing. It cannot be a them issue. It must be a personal issue. Oh, search me, oh God, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Love God. And love your neighbor. Are we moved with compassion or are we moving to the other side? My neighbor is the one right in front of me. And in this moment, 
I want to speak up and use the voice that I have and the position that I have, even for those in our church and those in our community, in our family, our church family, that are and are continuing to be wounded by prejudice and racism as they watch and wonder if we are going to pass on by or if we are going to be moved with compassion, seeking to understand, seeking to move forward, seeking to come towards, seeking to be a voice of reconciliation, seeking to have compassion, moved with compassion. Are we moved with compassion or are we moving to the other side? That moved with compassion is the same phrase that described how Jesus felt. In the book of Matthew, in the gospel of Matthew, which is an eyewitness account of Jesus, he said this when, it says this, when he saw the crowds, Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were harassed. They were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And we have to recognize this. He didn't say, you are bad sheep. He didn't say, sheep, get it together. He didn't say, sheep, why aren't you just leave this situation you're in? He said he was moved with compassion. The answer to the problem, in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of the pain, in the middle of the devastation that the enemy was doing, because you can't have someone that's being harassed without a harasser. And there is, a, there is an enemy, a devil, a spiritual force behind this that seeks to steal, that seeks to kill, that seeks to destroy. And we must be careful in this moment. Who are we partnering with? That one? Or are we partnering with Jesus who is moved with compassion and moved towards people and said this. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of the devastation. The harvest is plentiful. This is a moment to move. This is a moment to believe for more. This is a moment to pray this prayer. The workers, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out his workers into the harvest field. In other words, compassion is followed by action. He said to pray that God would thrust forth laborers into the harvest, into the chaos, into the pain, into the devastation, into the hate. The harvest is plentiful. So lift up your eyes in the middle of this chaos and begin to pray a different prayer. Begin to pray that God would use you. Begin to pray that God would use the church. Begin to pray that instead of running from this, this moment, that the church would run to this moment. You see, the church is called to be a voice in the middle of this. I'm not moving off this because this is the gospel. What if the church started to ask the Lord, and it's not just a racism issue. It's an issue of injustice. When you read through the gospel, look at Matthew 25, where Jesus talks about visiting the prisoners, where Jesus talks about that religion, or in James, it talks about pure religion and undefiled is helping the widow and helping the orphan. The gospel always has an action associated with it. But what if the church started to ask the Lord to send forth laborers to be the ones that would first stand in the gap in prayer against an enemy that's still trying to steal, kill, and destroy? What if we started to ask God to move in us and through us to see people turn to God? We need a move of God. What if, we're, what if love for God led to a compassion for people? You see, the Samaritan in the story was the one who was most like Jesus. He was the one who came after others failed to meet the need. He was the one who came before it was too late. He was the one who came with everything that was necessary. He was the one who came right to the afflicted man. He gave care. 
He not only helped him in the present, but he provided for his future. He came not just for salvation, but he came and was interested in full restoration. You see, that's what Jesus did for you and for me. Jesus came to you when others had let you down. Jesus came to you just at the right time. Jesus loves us and cares for us. Jesus sets you free. Jesus is setting you on a new path. Jesus is restoring and setting you up for a new future. And then how can we not be ones that would say, I've been healed and now I must be one that heals. I've been loved and I must be one that, has, that gives love. I've been forgiven. How can I not be one that forgives? I have received the compassion of God. How can I not be a voice of compassion in this? And Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 says, Because of his great love, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in transgressions and sin. In Romans 5 and 8, But God shows his love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus moved toward us in love and took action. Jesus moved towards us in our chaos. How can we who know Jesus be anything but compassionate in this moment? How can we be anything but trying to be understanding what's going on? How can we be anything but a voice of peace and a voice of honor and a voice of dignity? Church, we are called to lead the way. We need a move of God. We need a move of God that starts in us. We need a move of God that shines a light on our own issues on the inside that stops us from loving our neighbor. We can pass all kinds of laws and we can have protests and we can do all this stuff, but ultimately we need God to change our hearts from the inside out. We need to see a nation change from the inside out. We need to see our own lives change from the inside out. We need the Holy Spirit to bring reconciliation, to bring understanding between us. We need the Holy Spirit to move in the middle of the chaos. We need to be reaching out with compassion because when our hearts are touched with the compassion of God that would allow us to move in compassion towards others. Okay, Craig, I get it. But what can I do? Have you seen what's going on out there? How can I solve all this? It's too big. And that's the temptation. When we see a problem that's so big, we will just walk out of the screen and we leave it. But God is calling us to move into it and acknowledge that we absolutely desperately need him. You know, it's interesting to me that there was a systemic problems of bandits in that time on that road. But in that moment, the Samaritan made no comment about that. Maybe he did later. Maybe he posted about it. Maybe he petitioned about it. I don't know. And I'm not, please don't hear me denigrating that. But sometimes we allow the bigness of a situation to remove our responsibility. You see, this Samaritan did not let the big issues overwhelm what was happening with the one that was right in front of them. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Do for one what we wish we could do for everyone. You can't solve all the problems in the world. You've heard me say this before. Do for one what we wish we could do for everyone. We can't solve every issue, but we can begin one by one, little by little, begin to make a change first in us and then in the, in the lives of others. Because it's happened before. The 1960s were a time of incredible societal upheaval. 
There was political upheaval. There was race riots. There was anti-war protests, young people in rebellion, economic issues of gas and oil shortages. The drug culture was beginning to go. Sexual boundaries were gone. And it was absolutely chaos in the middle of that time. But in the middle of that, in the early, late 60s and the early 1970s, the church experienced a move of the Holy Spirit. Because in the middle of chaos, God's always coming in. In the middle of brokenness, Holy Spirit is always moving towards. And in the middle of all that was going on, millions and millions of young people came to faith. Millions and millions of young people turned their lives to Jesus. Some churches refused to engage with these long-haired, barefooted, guitar-strumming, drug-struggling Jesus people. But I'm told that in the early 1970s, there was a church that was, is now Horizon, had compassion and chose to make room for them. This church chose to open the door and love them, welcoming them, training them, engaging with the cultural moment, not retreating from it. Can we believe God that he would do it again? Can we believe God that in the middle of chaos, what the enemy is intending for evil, that God is going to turn it around for good? That in the middle of all that's going on, God is giving us an opportunity to deal with the issues of our heart, to see some change happen within us, to see revival happen within us. Can in the middle of all the societal breaking brokenness that God is giving us an opportunity to be repentant ones that would say, God, I need your help to bridge the gap. I need your help to be one that would bring uh, reconciliation and hope in the middle of all this. I need to see past the, the issue of class. I need to see past the issue of race. I need to see beyond the issues of where someone's from and to see men and women as they are loved by God, created by God, and God is not moving away from them. He is moving towards them. Can we be ones that move towards in the power of the Holy Spirit? Do for one what we wish we could do for everyone. I want to give you four very quick, simple actions that are personal. Personal. Assuming we're praying, assuming we're believing the move of God, all of that, and we must be. Number First is see a person, not a problem. See Alex and see Holly, who I talked about earlier. See people. Not a problem to be solved, but people to be loved. That Samaritan saw him. And sit in someone else's story. Sit in someone else's story. He had compassion for him. Let's be willing to acknowledge that perhaps like the Apostle Peter, we too might have areas of our heart that are issues of prejudice. Every one of us, whatever your race, whatever your color, whatever your culture, the potential is in us because we are humans and there's sin in our lives. God, I want to sit in someone's story. We might be judging more than we're loving. Mercy over judgment. Compassion over condemnation. Compassion leads to action. Condemnation leads to avoidance. See a person, sit in someone's story, sacrifice your pride. He went to him. Proximity 
to someone is closely related to compassion for someone. Get close to the pain of someone different than you. Let's let down our guard and acknowledge that we might need some adjustment if we're going to see anything change. Let's seek to understand without filtering through your political lens or your favorite news channel or your social media follow following or who you follow. Let's have courageous personal conversations. It's easy to have all kinds of opinions when you've never gone to someone and sacrificed your pride. And, and then start with a specific action. The man took his own donkey, used his own money, and sacrificed his own time. Ask Jesus what action you can take. It might start with repentance as I did those many years ago and have had to many, many times since. Repentance for the areas of my heart that don't walk towards people, but I'll actually lead me to walk around people. Maybe it's inviting someone to dinner that lives next door to you. Have to do it in the backyard, socially distant, yeah. Maybe it's talking over the fence to that neighbor. Intentionally enlarge your circle of friends to include those different than you. Maybe it's stop posting memes that are just divisive and not helpful in the conversation. Easy to do, funny to you, hurtful to someone else. Do for one what we wish we could do for everyone. Be moved with compassion, not moved to the other side. Do for one what we wish we could do for everyone. The change in our life starts with Jesus in our life. Our sin separates us from God in heaven. Our sin cripples our potential. Our sin poisons our relationship. Our sin separates us from the purpose of God to be with God in heaven. And it starts, you can turn that story around. If you've never made Jesus the leader of your life, it's just very, very simple to repent and say, God, I need you. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. If you recognize you need God, we need God, people, in our own lives to start with because we can't transform anything if we don't allow God to begin to transform us. We can't fix ourselves. Have you looked on the news? Have you seen what's going on in our world? That's what we do without God. That's why there's chaos in our life. That's why there's chaos in our families because we try and live life without Jesus. We need Jesus to start a process of transformation because one moment can ever change the momentum of your life. If you've never made Jesus the forgiver and leader of your life, I want you to pray this prayer from your heart. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Seven little words. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It's just acknowledging that you can't run your life. You need the help of God, that you need God to forgive your sin and come in and begin to lead you forward. Or maybe you need to repent of being a person who's more not as compassionate as you know God's called you to be. You recognize areas of judgment. You recognize areas where you're more quick to, quick to critique than you are to love, where you're quicker to use condemnation instead of compassion. Oh God, be merciful to me. Be merciful to me. 
be merciful to me. To me. Not someone else. Not the person on the TV. Me. Go and do thou likewise. Invite Jesus to help you to love your neighbor better. I'm going to pray. Pray for... And maybe just take a moment because I think I want to respond. If you're right now inviting Jesus to help you love your neighbor better, I want you to just put a wave on the, on the comment box. Maybe a hand up or a thumb up or something just to say, Pastor, I recognize that I've got to allow the Holy Spirit to do some work in me. I'm not the man that I need to be. But with the help of Jesus, I can be what he's called me to be. I'm not the woman. I'm not the, the leader. I'm not the, I need the help of Jesus. If that's you, just come on. Take a moment and make this personal right now. It's not about a big societal issue. We can't do all that in one moment, but perhaps we can begin here. Yes, we're going to work on all those other issues. Yes, there needs to be societal, systemic change on so many levels. But right now, the place to begin is personal. Don't step aside. Don't walk around. Move into. Jesus, we acknowledge our absolute desperate need for you. Without you, we can do nothing. We can't change our hearts. We can't change our attitudes. And we certainly can't change our actions without you, without a change on the inside, because this is not a skin issue. This is a sin issue first. Whatever our color, Lord Jesus, wherever we have prejudice in our heart, wherever we allowed hatred and bitterness to land in, forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, forgive us, forgive us. You came to seek and save the lost. You, you came for a world full of pain and brokenness and fill us with your compassion. Fill us with your, your love. Give us courage to join you in the journey of restoring the world. Give us courage to join you in what you've called us to do, to go into all the world and make a difference, to see people one to you, to see cities change, to see families restored, to see races reconciled under one God, one Lord, Jesus. We look to you. We ask for your help. And Lord, right now, into places of chaos in our world, Lord, I ask for your help, that you would send strong warring angels, bind, muzzle, and gag the work of the enemy in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for the people in our community, in our church community, that are experiencing pain and are experiencing uh, racism. Lord, I ask that you would comfort them and help us to to uh, remove that rather than add to it. Lord, those of us that are processing areas that are dark of our heart, we invite the light of the Holy Spirit in. We welcome you in the strong name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Family, thank you for allowing the Holy Spirit to engage with your heart. Pray for our nation. Pray for the nations. Pray for a move of God and believe that we will do for one what we wish we could do for everyone this week. Respond in the way that God would have you respond. Thank you. We'll see you soon. We hope you enjoyed this message from Horizon Church. To find your next step, visit horizonfam.ca. Have a great week.